Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Senator Sherrod Brown has been barnstorming the state, including a recent stop in Findlay, stumping for that $1.2 trillion infrastructure deal that may be one of the most precarious bipartisan bills in recent memory. Also this morning, with students back in class, full stadiums of sports and concert fans, record attendance at the fair, are we taking enough precautions to keep ourselves healthy and safe from COVID-19 and other viruses? And in our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, it seems like such a simple question, but it's one many Christians struggle to understand. What is the secret of prayer? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, September 9th, 2021. Something to think about as you're getting up, uh, getting ready to head off to work this morning. Very interesting report here in the New York Times. More people, it says, been quitting their jobs amid the pandemic after the initial shock to the economy in the spring of 2020. And the Times suggests that one of the reasons that uh, people have been quitting their jobs is that many employees hired after the pandemic, uh, who hired after the pandemic began, who work in jobs that allow them to work from home, may have never met their coworkers in person. And this report from the Times suggests that that may be one of the reasons for the high quit rate. Um. Zoom calls and meetings aren't the same as daily in-person interaction. And they suggest that the lack of connection has contributed to an easy-come, easy-go attitude toward the workplace, or in this case, the virtual workplace. Stanford University organizational psychologist and professor Bob Sutton tells the Times, if you are in a workplace or a job where there is not the emphasis on attachment, camaraderie, a sense of all for one and one for all, it is much easier to change jobs emotionally. So to counter that, some companies have created positions like head of remote to help keep employees working well together and feeling motivated even though they are not physically together. Stanford postdoctoral scholar Jen Reimer, who studies workplace dynamics, tells the Times the companies could also help workers by being proactive about socialization through things like scheduling small group activities, hosting in-person retreats, and setting aside time for day-to-day chatting. Hmm. I don't know. If you're uh, organizing in-person retreats, why not just have people back in the office. I'm not sure that is necessarily the uh, answer, but it is kind of uh, interesting and certainly sounds very logical. One of the reasons why the uh, quits rate is up. You know, the economists say, and traditionally the thought process is that if the quits rate in the labor market, the number of people who voluntarily leave their jobs it's likely because they have a good sense that there are other jobs out there, that something about their present employment is dissatisfactory and there are plenty of jobs out there. And it's purely an economic thing. If you think that there are lots of jobs open, then you're more likely to chuck it when it comes to a job that you don't like in search of one that you do. On the other hand, if the labor market is very tight, then you are less likely to give up a job because you're thinking, I may not like this job, but at least I'm working. So anyway, and I'm sure that plays into it uh, as well. But this may they may be onto something here. It is certainly easier to walk away from a job when you have no emotional connection to it or the people that you work with. So I thought that was uh, that was kind of interesting. Again, maybe one of the long lasting effects of the pandemic is that we become an even more, I guess, job mobile society where we just hop from, or that's that's the word, the job hopping society. Anyway, just kind of interesting. Start your day. Some of the uh, more uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your day started. Submit this for your consideration. 
alcohol-free wine apparently just as good for you as the real thing. Researchers from uh, Anglia Ruskin University. I don't know where that is. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. But uh, these uh, university researchers found a 40% reduced risk of coronary heart disease among people who drank up to 11 glasses of wine per week compared to non-drinkers and binge drinkers. 11 glasses a week, that's quite a bit. The uh, same reduced risk, though, is found among those who regularly drank non-alcoholic versions, sparkling grape juice. They say the results of their research suggest that the benefits are due to the antioxidant properties in the grapes, not the alcohol itself. So you don't need the alcohol to get the health benefits of wine. (laughs) And I can hear a lot of people saying that's not why I drink wine anyway. So... Uh, Good news here, the uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City is back on. Now, last year, it was a TV-only event. They did have the parade or some semblance thereof, but there were no spectators. This year, spectators will be allowed back along the route. Uh, On November 25th, the parade will be broadcast on NBC. It will feature the traditional giant balloons, celebrity performers, marching bands, etc., etc., etc. However, there will be COVID-19 protocols in place. So when you watch it on TV, you will see uh, face coverings uh, with exceptions for singers and some other performers, but everybody else will have uh, uh, face coverings. Uh, Also, there will be a vaccination requirement for all parade volunteers. But at least it is back on. There will be crowds at the 95th macy's thanksgiving day parade this year uh some of the other uh, more interesting and buzzworthy stories this morning you know one of the traditions of autumn is the corn maze a farmer in minnesota is putting a new spin on that idea willows keep farm is uh hosting a hemp maze (laughs) Two-acre field puzzle made up entirely of hemp plants. Uh, It is in Zumbrata, Minnesota, about an hour south of the uh, Twin Cities. The owner and operator of the maze says it was constructed to educate those interested in learning about hemp and what the plant provides with respect to everyday goods. He says he believes it is the only hemp maze in the state and maybe in the United States. So <laughs> that's one of those. I may get lost, but I don't care. <laughs> I know there's a difference between hemp and, and marijuana, but you get the idea. <laughs> I may be lost, man, but I don't care. <laughs> um, this is a crazy story. Apparently a baseball size clump of Elvis Presley's hair has sold at auction for, are you ready for this? $72,500. The clump of the hair from the king of rock and roll is worth more than what the average American makes in a year. I was sold at an LA auction recently. Items among the extensive documentation included plane tickets from when Elvis would fly his personal barber out for him uh, so he could get a haircut wherever he happened to be, and a certificate of authenticity signed by hair-collecting expert John Reznikoff of University Archives. First of all, how would you like to have that job title? I am a hair-collecting expert. (laughs) And how do you authenticate... A clump of Elvis Presley's hair. I mean, initially you would think, oh, you do a DNA test. But then they didn't have DNA tests back when Elvis was alive. So what would you compare it to? What would you compare that? I don't know. But Anyway, I can't even imagine. And how about this? Uh, This is a uh, really crazy story. Imagine... Being able to control your car with your mind. 
Mercedes claims that they have figured out how to do this and done Tesla one better with a thought-controlled interface for its future vehicles. Now, if this ever comes to pass, you can remember that on Thursday, September 9th, 2021, you heard about it first right here on this program. According to a press release, Mercedes has announced that it has created a new dimension of future human voice... Or, Let's try that again. A new dimension of future human vehicle interaction. A brain computer interface. Uh, it is a part of its uh, Mercedes Vision AVTR concept vehicle at the IAA Mobility Expo in Munich. A British Seeger Mercedes says BCI technology works completely independently of speech and touch. It opens up revolutionary possibilities for interactive, uh, intuitive interaction with the vehicle. Mercedes promises it takes only a minute for a driver to calibrate the vehicle's interface, attuning car to driver with a set of wearable electrodes. And then once that is set, They promise that you will be able to wirelessly be one with the car. Uh, Setting everything from navigation destinations to uh, climate control temperature. uh, Maybe starting the uh, maybe starting the windshield wipers if you need to do that or changing anything. Adjusting your seat, adjusting your power mirrors, changing the radio station. Although why you would want to do that, I have no idea. But anyway, you can do all this with just your mind. Uh, they say it'd be uh, similar to the neuronical, neuronal, neuronal connection between the Navi and the nature and the visionary Hollywood blockbuster Avatar. Visitors to the expo can try out the interface for themselves in a mock-up of the future car. So apparently they have a working prototype. Is that, is it just me or is that a little too creepy? <laughs> I don't know if I want to be one with my car in that way. But there you go. So uh, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories, to be sure, to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, mostly sunny today with a high of 75 Mostly clear tonight, a low of 55. The mayor of Ohio's capital city has announced he plans to issue an executive order requiring people to wear a face mask in indoor public spaces, regardless of vaccination status. Andrew Ginther made the announcement during a news conference alongside Columbus health officials. We have to do more. We need to get vaccinated and we need to wear our masks. That's how we show support for our health care professionals mayor said masks along with vaccines are the best way to keep people safe and he added that the executive order is about slowing the spread of the virus and keeping columbus safe and open for business get more on our website several firefighters from ohio continue to battle flames out west the odnr division of forestry says engines staffed with ohio firefighters are fighting flames in minnesota and california ohio crews also have recently been battling fires outside of glacier national park in montana as well as in wisconsin and michigan crews are normally assigned for two weeks and come from the division of forestry the division of wildlife local fire departments national parks and forests and cooperating state agencies dave james i went in news The Finley-Hancock County Public Library is encouraging people who don't have one yet to get their own library card this month during National Library Card Sign-Up Month. Currently, 27,334 members of our community are cardholders. We'd love to sign up a lot more uh, over the course of Library Card Sign-Up Month. That's Sarah Clevidence, the director of the Finley-Hancock County Public Library. She says they believe that there's nothing more empowering than getting your very own library card. Get more on our website. A fun free event that kids and adults both will enjoy is coming up this weekend. 
Touch a Truck will be held at the Hancock County Fairgrounds in Findlay on Saturday from 10 to 2. Called a Kid's Dream Day, youngsters will have a chance to get up close and hands-on with tractors, semis, emergency vehicles, and more. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Senator Sherrod Brown has been barnstorming the state uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks, including a recent stop in Finley, stumping for that $1.2 trillion infrastructure deal that may be one of the most precarious bipartisan uh, bills in in recent memory. Senator Brown joins us uh, on the line this morning. Senator, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks. Good, good to be uh, remotely back in Finley last week. Thank you. <laughs> First of all, let me uh, let me ask you this, and this is really kind of the crux of uh, the message that you've been bringing uh, to uh, cities and towns across the uh, state of Ohio. We've heard the sound bites about how uh, this bill is important for America, and we know conceptually that's true. But focus in on uh, the state of Ohio. What is in it for our state, particularly specifically? Well, we have we have three thousand bridges in Ohio that are in need of, of investment and repair. I, I mean, I, in a personal sort of way, I grew up working on a family farm east of Fenley near Mansfield, near Lexington, Ohio, and I would take you know we I pull hay wagons or taking grain to the mill across these small county bridges, and you could even see some disrepair back then. And and it's clear we've got to invest in our bridges and our highways, and we got to invest in water and sewer systems. I mean, many counties, many communities are kind of way behind on all that. And um, presidents since, um, really since Clinton and Bush and Trump, and Obama and Trump have promised infrastructure, and this is the first time we've done it. We did it bipartisanly with a new president and a new Senate, uh, and it's, it's also broadband. It will also be housing of all the kinds of things that give families a better launch in life. This bill, however, which you voted for, sailed through the Senate last month, but it is not feeling very bipartisan in the House. Uh, Those on both the far right and the far left are uh, threatening to derail it. Uh, Again, if it's so needed, if it's uh, something that it seems like everyone is agreeing on, why can't this get done? Well, it got every Democratic vote in the Senate and got about 25 Republicans in the Senate. I, I think the same thing happens in the House. You know how it is. I mean, there's because it's Biden's bill, some of the most conservative Republicans are just going to speak out against it. And some progressives some, you know, fairly far to the left are going to do the same just because that's what people do in politics and posture. This bill is going to pass. I mean, I, I could really see it because when I went to the family center in Finley last week, I could really feel how important this is when I, you know, talk to an organizations of Christian churches and a group of housing advocates and a group of of people who look out for those who who are unemployed. I mean, it, it really was an economic development. All the things that Family Center stands for. That's really what this bill's about. And it's going to pass the House. It's just a few hiccups. That's the way politics is, speaking, unfortunately. Speaking specifically to the progressive wing of your party, many political pundits have suggested that the president and the Democrats should take this victory and live to fight another day on the broader so-called human infrastructure component. How do you convince those who insist on tying the two together to take this victory instead of putting conditions on their vote? Well, that, that's sort of two questions. And first of all, we will do the infrastructure bill. We should. We will do the next bill, and we should. And I'll give you an example. Uh, the, we passed uh, several months ago legislation to provide a child tax credit. Families of 92% of children in our state, all but the absolute wealthiest 10% of families, are getting this monthly $250, $300 check. That expires at the end of, at the, end of the year, essentially, in the middle of next year. Um, we need to continue that. We need to continue investment in housing. I, one of the things that came out of my visit to the family center is there is such a shortage of housing. People come to town to work for Marathon. People come to town to work for Cooper. People come to town for a variety of reasons. They can't find housing. It's not just low-income people. It's middle-class housing. It's, it's, people start, it's, it's hard to find a starter home that people can afford. Um, these days, just to find one available for families that want to, that are in their mid late twenties, ready to buy a home. Um, we've got we've got some real structural issues that the pandemic 
sort of shone a light on, and it, it affects Hancock County just as much as it affects New York City and communities in between. That was a big part of what you talked about, as you mentioned, when you were here in town uh, last week. Expand on that a little bit, and again, uh, this uh, infrastructure bill and how that uh, impacts the availability of housing. Yeah, well, the, 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 bills, the bills taken together, I understand they're different. One will pass, and then the next one. Um, and they together they will invest in, for instance, a, a number of families just can't come up with they they can they they're, they're paying right now more in rent than they would pay for a mortgage in a comparable place, but they can't come up with a down payment. So we help families with that. Um, so once they're in that house, then they build equity, and then they're they're major they're they're just more prosperous players in the community and citizens. And um, we've seen that that play out before and we know what it means when there's when there's good pros when there's families that that own their own home some people will never want to own their home i get that but a whole lot of people want to and haven't been able to we know that's how you build a middle class ultimately though you are convinced that this uh bipartisan infrastructure plan uh will pass and will be uh, uh will be signed by the president yeah this this bill why well, i would have be pretty certain. Not I will. I rarely make predictions to you, but I will in this one that yes, it will pass, and I think it will be signed by the president in October. So I'll even give you a. I'll even give you a prediction of a date. Some <laughs> point in October. You were uh, one ahead of me don't there. Pin, Again. Don't pin me down. Don't, don't pin me down to a specific time. <laughs> Fair enough, uh, Senator Sherrod Brown, with us uh, once again this morning. Senator, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, Chris. And I, one more thing I want to say that the visit to the family center really showed me such a community spirit in Hancock County. And I, I've always known that I, I grew up in Mansfield, as I said, played basketball against Fenley. Usually we lost the old Buckeye Conference, but I always have appreciated the feeling of community in that city and that community. And that, that really, the family center really showed that to me the other day. So thank you for that. The latest news, sports, weather, and so much more. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So last week we saw record attendance at the Hancock County Fair. The students are back in class. Football Fridays. See full stands. All of that. It's great to see, but... Uh, are we taking enough precautions to keep ourselves healthy and safe, not just from COVID-19, but uh, other viruses as well? You know, we're uh, coming into cold and flu season. Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System, is with us on the uh, line this morning. And uh, obviously, all of these things that we're talking about going on without virtually without any restrictions or or mandates or anything like that, which I know a lot of folks are happy about, but it raises the question, are we kind of tempting fate here with uh, uh, all of these things happening, um, you know, so uh, so freely uh, here over the, uh, uh, the past uh, several weeks, past month or so? Well, Chris, uh, we're certainly concerned about that. I don't, <clears throat> don't want to say it's the perfect storm, but uh, there's a lot of things, as you mentioned. Um, we're also going into the fall season where individuals are inside more. Mm-hmm. So there's n- more possibilities of getting infected and anything. And also, as you mentioned, it's not just COVID. The practical things that you need to do to prevent any virus or really a bacteria uh, is to social distance, that you don't want to be touching or around someone. Uh, in COVID specifically, in most viruses, they're spread airborne. So someone that's coughing or sneezing, um, et cetera, that's congested, running a fever, you could pick up a virus from them um, any kind of time. So washing your hands is really important. Um, and then we encourage everyone to mask. I saw today that <clears throat> Columbus is now going to use an indoor mask mm-hmm. um, uh, mandate. And I We'll just have to see what the data shows, but we are concerned. 
and I think we're going to be seeing more cases. We're already seeing more here at the hospital. So, and and that obviously is the is the big concern again for the unvaccinated, particularly, but even uh, cases of uh, of breakthrough infections. Have you seen and an, a, a significant influx of those uh, breakthrough cases? Because again. The uh, the selling point, if you will, on the vaccine has been that even if you catch COVID-19, it is a much milder case. Has that borne itself out here locally from what you've seen? Uh, yes, uh, I would say that's true. And I think it, it's really important going back to the first point, too, is that I think you have to presume that anyone that you're around could have covid Those that are vaccinated and we are seeing that here, we're seeing that nationally individuals that one get really sick, those that get admitted to the hospital, those that are put on ventilators, those that are die are in general those that are unvaccinated. So there is the protective effect, even though that you may not um, not get it. So you still can get COVID, not, not as often um, as what occurs. And in fact, there's a lot of uh, epidemiologists, infectious disease are as worried about the vaccinated individuals uh, because they don't have the symptoms that they may be carriers. And so, again, the presumption, as far as I'm concerned, is you would treat everyone. Now, um, wearing a mask is certainly good. Uh, Outside, I don't think it's as big of a problem. I don't know what's going to happen with the football stadium. Mm -hmm. I stayed 110,000 people sitting Right. right next to each other. Right. But I think in general, if you're out walking and doing things, you're fine. Now, here's the uh, the thing. We talk about uh, these huge crowds that are gathering for sports and, and other things. We saw examples of it all weekend on television with the uh, uh, kickoff of the college football season, these uh, big, huge stadiums uh, full of, uh, of people. You recall uh, what I guess last month it was? Uh, they had the uh, big Lollapalooza concert. Some 100,000 people were there, and they did have a vaccination requirement, and we have not really seen evidence that that was a super spreader event so it does appear that if you've got these gatherings uh, even of many tens of thousands of people that uh vaccination uh, is keeping the spread in check it would appear um i'd have to say the empirical data would seem to tend that the the problem and and i'm not disagreeing because i think being outside aerosol it's going to get probably blown away now mm-hmm. sitting right next to someone that's obviously infected yeah it's so hard to tell where someone can get this now uh, tracers are just almost impossible because people don't know that someone had it etc so it's hard to do a trial and say okay the number of people that go somewhere to a big concert or to a football game as to, well, is, was that the cause and effect? But I, I would agree with you. I, I do think people being outside as much as they can, as I said, and we'll just have to see about the football. Now, yeah. around here in a lot of the, the games, the, the people team seem to spread and that even reduces the likelihood of picking up something. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, kids are, are back in school, and locally uh, there are no mask mandates uh, in place for uh, school students, and it's been reported at least one school district is uh, not necessarily even enforcing mask mandates uh, on the buses, which is a, a federal, uh, federal thing. So, um, again, being rather lax on that, how much of a concern is it given that what we have seen with the Delta variant is an influx of younger people uh, uh, with infections and uh, those uh, being more serious, and especially as we're talking about in some cases children who are too young to be vaccinated at this point. Right. Well, and there is a major concern. I talked to one of our pediatric hospitalists yesterday. Um, We are seeing more cases. Uh, We haven't seen a lot. We're also worried about the general virus you talked about, RSV, um, that that seems to be pretty virulent. Your point about schools, again, I guess we're just going to have to see. There are more and more cases. The American Academy of Pediatrics has raised concern. So far, there's been reported three, three quarters of a million cases in, in children. Um, 
I think it's we're above 50,000 that have been admitted. There have been deaths. Uh, they are increasing. One of the concerns, just like there's concern in the adult population, is the capabilities and the capacity to take care of those. Most of the, the kids that get sick that need to be hospitalized are in pediatric hospitals, and they're already bursting at the seams um, as to how they're going to be able to take care of, a, of an increased number. The other concerning thing about children is that a lot of times they seem to get their symptoms uh, farther out than just when they first get sick. They may have a mild cold, and then a couple of three weeks later is when they really get sick, in which it makes it hard to figure out where they got it from a data standpoint, but Mm -hmm. also just recognizing that this may be COVID. So the pediatric (coughs) concern, (coughs) excuse me, the pediatric concern is really there. Again, we're talking about uh, all of these uh, things that we have seen, the the crowds at the fair, the kids back in school, the uh, full stadiums at uh, sporting events and so on, particularly locally, and whether we're taking enough precautions to keep ourselves healthy and safe, not just from COVID, but again, to uh, reiterate, we're coming up on cold and flu season. You mentioned RSV uh, with respect to uh, to children. All of these things are concerning. It's not just uh, COVID-19 and things that we, uh, as uh, parents, need to remind ourselves and keep in mind uh, with respect to the spread because again uh, last year one of the uh, side benefits of uh, everything that we saw was we had a very very mild cold and flu season largely because of all of the precautions we were taking to avoid COVID-19. Exactly that's exactly right. Again, uh, Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System, with us uh, this morning. Dr. Coase, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for giving me the time to talk to the public, uh, Chris. Have a great day. We've got a link up uh, for more information at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. This morning in our 9-11 Plus 20 series, you know the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks on America coming up on Saturday, and while none of us who were old enough to remember will ever forget that day, the memories for some will always be particularly vivid. Back around the time of the fifth anniversary of 9-11 in 2006, you remember Oliver Stone's film World Trade Center was in theaters, and we spoke to former New York City Emergency Services Officer Scott Strauss, who was one of the individuals involved in the rescue operation at Ground Zero. I was um, off duty. Uh, I had just finished working a midnight tour covering Lower Manhattan. I finished at eight o'clock. Uh, the guys came in uh, to do the day tour, relieve me. Uh, I was on my way home to Long Island, and I was listening to news radio when I heard uh, that a, a plane had hit one of the towers of the Trade Center. Obviously, being a member of the Emergency Ser- Services Unit, this is the type of thing that you train for: disaster assistance and uh, survivor recovery and all of that. But at the same time, you get down there to uh, what we now call Ground Zero, and nothing really could have prepared you. F- I- I'm sure for what you saw. Yeah, you're a- you're absolutely right. The Emergency Service Unit is a SWAT and the rescue team in New York City. We handle uh, all tactical situations and also the uh, the rescue operations in the city, uh, in addition to the fire department. Um, when we got down to Ground Zero, uh, myself and the off-duty uh, officers from my unit that were with me, we got down there just as the second tower had finished collapsing, and it was complete devastation. The, the, the pictures in magazines and newspapers and the news footage that we've all seen on TV simply don't do it justice. The devastation was just incredible. How do you react today when people talk about that day and, and recall the events of 9-11? What emotions does that bring out? It, it certainly brings a, a lot of emotions. It's, uh, I lost 14 very good friends there that day. Uh, it, it was, uh, but yet I was had an integral part in bringing uh, two people home to their families. Uh, so I, I have mixed feelings uh, about 9/11. What I hope that the country doesn't do is forget about 9/11. It, it happened here in New York. It happened in Washington and in Pennsylvania. Uh, but it's possible that it could happen somewhere else tomorrow or in uh, the coming weeks, months, and years. So it's important for us uh, not to ever forget that, but to remember uh, the humanity that went on that day. People helping people, uh, civilians helping civilians, civilians helping cops, cops and firefighters helping each other. It was uh, New York City coming together at its finest moment on a dark day.
you uh, served as a consultant uh, for the film. What was your initial reaction to the idea of turning this into, I guess, for lack of a better word, the, the Hollywoodization of uh, 9-11? Yeah, I was, I was very nervous when I was approached by Paramount uh, to be a part of the movie. I was nervous that uh, Hollywood was going to touch uh, the World Trade Center story in general, not only the part that I had an association with, and then I had uh, even more uh, anxiety when uh, Oliver Stone was um, going to uh, direct it. And I have to tell you that Oliver Stone and Paramount Pictures did 100% right by New Yorkers and by uh, this story. They were true to their word. Oliver Stone's an incredible individual. He, um, it, he wanted the story to be done right. He, Paramount Pictures brought out roughly three dozen rescuers from New York City, uh, emergency service police officers that I worked with that day, Port Authority police officers and New York City firefighters to help him and Paramount make this movie right. It, it wasn't another movie to get out before the fifth anniversary. They didn't care about timelines and deadlines. They didn't care about costs or, or anything else. All that was their concern was to get the movie right. After every take, after every film shoot, Oliver Stone would say to us, guys, was this right? Is this the way it happened? It's got to be right. And it had no no any kind of twists on it or anything. It was just a straight-out story from Will and John. Is it difficult to watch the movie on the big screen, having lived it? You know what, I'm not going to say difficult, but it certainly is emotional. But it, this movie doesn't do that for, only do that for me. It, um, I, I live that day every day. Um, like I said, I lost 14 good friends there that day. That day will be, be with me many times a day forever. Uh, the movie is incredibly uplifting, though. As emotional as it is, it's inspirational, and it's a fantastic ending, and it just drives home the point that there's nothing more important in life than your family and your friends. Such a powerful story, and you can learn more about Scott's story at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Tomorrow, our 9-11 Plus 20 series concludes with a closer look at the lasting impact and enduring legacy brought about by the events of September 11th, 20 years ago. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update in the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Kind of a light day for the broken news uh, today. A Phoenix man was arrested on Monday evening for assaulting his barber over a bad haircut. <laughs> I think we've all been there where we've gotten a, a bad haircut before but this is taking it to an extreme i think maybe we've all thought about it but uh lorenzo malik harewood actually did it he was uh, not given a refund for an unsatisfactory cut so he proceeded to punch the victim in the face <laughs> officers say mr harewood then ripped a necklace off the barber's neck and ran out of the shop dropping the chain along the way he was arrested uh, on uh, for uh, robbery and assault. <laughs> You're looking for uh, another place to get his haircut next time, I would imagine. As, at least his barber is hoping he does. A Nevada man uh, received an unusual noise complaint from a neighbor. Now, this is not necessarily an odd news story. I mean, you know, we've all heard of these things. Maybe we've had it happen. Uh, we have a loud party or whatever, and the neighbors want you to you know, keep it down, all of that. But in this case, uh, the noise complaint was that there wasn't enough noise. <laughs> uh, uh, Bin Chow uh, shared a note on uh, social media that started out with, Dear neighbor, I live next door, and I would like to discuss your music. <laughs> the, the neighbor named Todd... Uh, said, please turn it up and please share your your playlist <laughs> because it's good stuff. <laughs> the the neighbor uh, requested more good music and included a beer with his letter. Said complimented his neighbor. <laughs> I like that. That's a uh, that's actually kind of a cool story. They get a noise complaint that there's not enough noise. Sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the uh, broken news. A man in Norwalk, Ohio, made a bizarre call to police that his dog had shot itself. 
Uh, as it turns out, there's a little bit more to the story. Um, and uh, the uh, the man is now facing a number of charges, including animal cruelty. The brown and white boxer named Lula was found conscious, but with a serious gunshot wound. The initial report was that the dog had shot herself, according to police captain David Smith. The 31-year-old man, whose name is not given in the report, told officers that the boxer was trained to bring him his handgun and claimed that she must have accidentally set it off. The man allegedly later admitted that he had shot the dog, uh, apparently accidentally. Now, he didn't intend to shoot his dog, but he shot his dog nonetheless and then tried to <laughs> tried to blame the dog for shooting itself. Now, the uh, good news is that uh, Lula, the uh, boxer, was taken to the Humane Society where she received surgery. She is recovering well, they say. Dog is going to be okay. But uh, the man was taken to the Huron County Jail on charges of animal cruelty. Um, the uh, police note that it was clear alcohol was involved in the incident. I just want to know, why would you train your dog to bring you your handgun? I, I've got to wrap in my head around that. You fetch the paper, fetch your slippers, but fetch your handgun? I don't know if that's really the best idea. Uh, in the first place. So that's the part I'm trying to wrap my head around here. <clears throat> and finally, in the broken news this morning, if your dream home includes hundreds of cell blocks, an old mess hall, showers with no privacy, a warden's office, and perhaps tons of angry ghosts of former inmates, you need look no further than the state of Pennsylvania. Penn Live reporting that the state correctional institution in Pittsburgh, formerly Western Penitentiary, Penitentiary, Penitentiary. <laughs> Why am I having trouble with that word? Penitentiary. Um, the, uh, the pen that was built in 1882 is about to go up for sale after a potential buyer backed out of the deal. The property has been in limbo for four years. Uh, since September of 2017, the state will soon accept bids on the 20-acre property with some State representatives hoping a development company will come and rehabilitate the old prison. However, State Senator Wayne Fontana says the state may have to put in a little elbow grease themselves in order to get the prison off their hands. Says the state may need to check for asbestos, do a little soil remediation on the grounds. Other than that, they say the old brick building will be good to go. <laughs> It'll be good to go. If you've ever wanted to own your own prison. The state has declined listing the property's selling price. Now, why would you do that if you want to sell it? Why would you not list the selling price? Uh, in any event, they did say that the correctional facility costs about $600,000 a year just to maintain. It is uh, possible that the uh, state made up for that by allowing uh, movie production companies movie and television production companies to use the property for some uh, some of their projects so there might be a business opportunity there somewhere but i don't know how much of a demand there will be people saying hey i want to buy a prison there you go nonetheless uh, some of the odd and unusual news this uh, updated the broken news brought to you as a public service more or less of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The Finley Trojans play here on WFIN. This is Tim Montgomery. Join me and Coach Cliff Hyde for all the action of Trojan football in 2021. We'll bring you every exciting play each Friday night, all season long, home and away. This is Coach Stephen Adams, up next on Friday night. It's a week four matchup as the Trojans head to Toledo Central Catholic. Finley Trojan football is here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. Now time for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Most of us, I think, generally want to be healthy and a lot of folks... Uh, use the pandemic as sort of a, a, a chance to set some health goals. We had a lot more time on our hands. We had a, 
a lot more opportunity to uh, maybe take up healthier habits and sort of uh, hitting the reset buttons, taking stock of uh, our lifestyle and, and so on. New survey, though, shows that uh, for many people, uh, keeping fit is a tall hill to climb, and it is not just excuses. Uh, now, some of it is an excuse, <laughs> people just using excuses, but there are some uh, genuine uh, headwinds to keeping in shape. 59% of Americans in a poll of more than 2,000 adults said it is too healthy or uh, too expensive to stay healthy. It's just too expensive. Uh, this is a non-scientific poll commissioned by NatureAid. Um, it is even worse for those who live in urban areas. 68% say the cost of eating right and being healthy is too high. Uh, while the survey revealed that 65% of people value mental health as important to their overall health. And the same percentage said living in a safe environment was also important. Just 50% listed eating healthy food as a priority. Uh, that apparently comes down to a question of access. In fact, just 22% of those polled said they knew of a nearby grocery store that sells fresh produce that is affordable. Now, again, uh, affordable is uh, a definition that's a, a little fluid <laughs> in how you define affordable. depends on a lot of factors and is different for everyone, but only 22% say they know of a grocery store near them sells fresh produce that is affordable. And for 79%, the nearest store is more than a mile from their home, uh, which, again, uh, a bigger deal in urban areas than suburban and rural uh, communities. But nonetheless, the average respondent said it was 4.1 miles away. And if you're in an urban setting, uh, that can be quite a barrier. That said, 59% of all respondents said that they are exercising more than three times a week. And it doesn't cost anything to do that. Uh, 24% of those polled say they resort to eating fast food five or more times a week. So that may be counteracting some of that exercise, however. Not surprising, then, that 80% of those polled say they know someone with a lifestyle-related disease, like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, uh, or suffer from one themselves. However, of the 1,600 respondents in the poll that are in that category... 70% said learning about a loved one's diagnosis made them more determined to focus on their own health. Interesting insights as to where we are with respect to uh, keeping healthy and some of the barriers that exist for some people. You know, this seems like such a simple question, like one that we should almost be embarrassed to ask. After all, Christians should know how to pray, right? If you don't know how to pray, can you really call yourself a Christian? Well, the fact is that it is actually a very common question among Christ's followers. Remember, even his original followers, the disciples, asked Jesus how to pray. And Jesus instructed them in what we call the Lord's Prayer. But is that the only way to pray? The new book, The Secret to Prayer, offers insights for bringing modern petitions, confessions, and blessings to God. Correspondent John Clemens has more this morning keeping the faith. Dr. Kyle DeRoberts is an associate professor at Arizona Christian University. He wrote The Secret to Prayer to let Christians know their prayers that although may involve many complex issues, they should also be simple, requested with a humble heart. I also don't want to make it so complex that, that a sense of spiritual paralysis sets in to where we never begin to pray uh, because we don't think we could ever do it. Or we don't think that mm, prayer just isn't my spiritual gift, and so I'll let somebody else pray for me. But instead, there isn't supposed to be any kind of an intermediary between us and God. Lifeway research found among adults who pray, only one in four say God answers all their prayers. How does the book, The Secret to Prayer, help them? God does care about their prayers, that God does hear their prayers. The only thing at the forefront, the only thing in focus for God is the condition of our heart as we pray. And so what I would then work with or work through or talk through with that individual is as I would want them to at least begin to process through, well, what kind of heart, what kind of heart do I have as I'm praying? Dr. DeRoberts tells us it's not if we close our eyes when we pray or fold our hands or kneel. It's the condition of our heart. I think you can train somebody to enhance their prayer life. 
Here's the training, though. The training isn't to repeat a hand posture or uh, you closing your eyes or opening your eyes or something like this. Like It's not mechanics of prayer, but what you train yourself in is to be introspective. Can our prayers to the Lord be enhanced by changing the condition of our heart? You train yourself to begin to ask yourself questions about what are my intentions? What are my presuppositions? Like, what am I after as I pray? so that you have an awareness of your heart, because our heart can deceive us. Our heart can be very deceptive, but our heart can also be quite powerful as it propels us towards Christ as well. And so I want us to be aware of the kind of heart and the condition of our heart in prayer. And so that's where the real training would come in. The Secret to Prayer is a book that will help those who feel their petitions to the Lord sound like a laundry list. I think it's just something to always just keep in mind as you develop the habit of prayer that, yes, you will develop a habit of asking God for things, but you also want to begin to develop that habit to where we're also confessing our sin. The point that Dr. Roberts is making in his book, The Secrets of Prayer, is that it is the condition of our heart when we go to the Lord. I could be praying with my eyes open because I don't know that it's better to pray with my eyes closed, but I could be praying from a humble heart And yet the world might look at the one praying with their eyes closed and say, see, look how holy they are. And yet they could have the worst of intentions. And yet while God is looking at the one with their eyes open and saying, see, this this heart, this is a good heart that is praying to me right now. And so this is why the condition of the heart is so important. Whether seeking a blessing, a confession of sins, or one a petition, it is the condition of our heart. The heart is the very wordsmith producing what we say in prayer. It isn't, it isn't our posture, it isn't our, our behaviors or our mannerisms, but it's our heart. And so this is what is most important to God. And so what I think what we see in the book is that all throughout Scripture, there is an emphasis, yes, on prayer, but, but also on humility as well. They go tandem, they're, they're hand in hand. The secret to prayer is also for those Christians who feel God has said no to them. If you pray long enough, I can promise you, I will not overpromise and underdeliver on this. Sometimes God will not answer our prayer. Sometimes the answer just might be no. So there's lots of nuances and dimensions to prayer that we have to come to terms with if we're committing to praying for a long period of time throughout our life. Here's how to get in touch with Dr. Kyle DeRoberts about his book, The Secret to Prayer. You can visit my website, kyledroberts.com. Uh, the book also has a website, the secret to prayerbook.com. Both of those places would be wonderful in order to get in touch with me. And then, of course, anywhere on social media, you can just find me at Kyle DeRoberts. This is John Clemens reporting. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. Tomorrow morning, we conclude our week-long series 9-11 plus 20 with a closer look at the lasting impact and enduring legacy brought about by the events of September 11th, 20 years ago. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.